0: Good morning again to everybody. Um, This is the last part of our series called Recondition. And in this series, what we've been doing is we've been seeing how Jesus was interacting with one of his disciples named Peter in the week leading up to Jesus' death. And there were a series of lessons, a series of times when Jesus had to sit down with Peter and say, Peter, we need to adjust the way you're thinking. We need to adjust the way you're acting. Peter, you need to be reconditioned. But here's a quick way that I've noticed in this series. No matter how much Jesus tried to recondition Peter, Peter still is not reconditioned, is he? Even in what we're going to look at today, this is the last conversation that Jesus has with Peter before Jesus is put to death. And even in this moment, Peter is not reconditioned because here's what we we learn from this series. The reconditioning doesn't happen when we work harder. The ultimate reconditioning happens when Jesus dies and comes back to life. And that's when all these things that Jesus taught finally start clicking, clicking, clicking for Peter as he knows that the foundation for his life is Jesus and his resurrection. So like I said, today we're going to look at the last section, the last conversation that Jesus had with Peter before the crucifixion. Now, I believe God gave me children for two reasons. One is to take care of me when I'm old. And the other is to serve as sermon illustrations until then. <laughs> and I know I've talked about my kids a lot. I don't really show pictures of them too often. So here's a picture of my kids from this last weekend when we had beautiful weather. We went to Minnehaha Falls, <coughs> and we spent all morning there. And by the way, if you want to hear something funny, just try to listen to your GPS. Try to say the word Minnehaha. It's really funny. But these are my three kids, this is Jackie in the back, this is Logan right here, and this is the troublemaker, Aaron. We had stopped just for a little snack, and so we had a chance to sit down, and I took a picture of them looking all cute and adorable. Now the story that I'm about to tell is about this younger one here, Aaron. He's four. One of the things that Aaron likes to do, and the others do too, is he likes to play games with dad. And one of those games is go fish. Now, I'm going to assume that all of you have heard of this game, right? Does anyone not know what the game of Go Fish is like? Oh, boy. Your mama didn't teach you. So the way the game goes is you have your cards. You try to make a match. As soon as you get two of the same ones, you can put them down, and that's like points, right? But to get more cards, what do you have to do? You ask the other person, do you have this card? And they say, yes. You take it. You make a pair. If they say no... Um, if they don't have that card, what do they say? fish. Go fish. All right, so that's, that's the game. The cards that we have are these dinosaur cards, and they're really, really weird, and they have hard names. And so th- this Go fish card, it's an it's a orange dinosaur. It's called the Carnotaurus. Carnotaurus. Have you ever heard of that one? Or try this blue one. It's called the Parasauro, Parasaurolophus. And it, there's more in there, too. And I'm like, these are just too confusing. We're just going to call the dinosaurs by their color, which is probably racist, right? <laughs> Luckily, they're all... <laughs> there's no white or black ones in there, so we're okay. But the way that Aaron plays this game, he loves to play it, but the way he plays is either he's not able to hold on to the cards or he just doesn't, he doesn't care. What he does is we often play on the floor, so he'll be down here. He'll just put all of his cards on the floor face up so he can see them all but the thing is so can i right i can see everything that he has so me being the dad playing with my son aaron i know exactly how to let him win now the other two jackie and logan they hold their cards tight they mean they hold them close they know that this is a competitive game now the thing is with jackie and logan sometimes i try to let them win but i don't know how to and it, it's, it, I, sometimes I want to make them lose. They need to learn a lesson every once in a while. But Aaron, he just leaves his cards face up. And as I thought about it this week, I'm like, there's just so many cool, cool lessons from Go Fish. In fact, Forrest Gump would be proud. You could say, life is like a game of Go Fish. When you leave your cards face up for your Father in Heaven, things just seem to go better, don't they? He can show you what you need to ask for. He can show you what you need to do. And there's, there's so many different applications. I'm probably going to write a book about this. Maybe we'll have a series. Except we already did a series called Go Fish, right, Ben? That was like a long time ago. That was a completely different topic. But, but anyway, just the, the game of Go Fish has so many different life applications. Sometimes you know everything that's going on and things are sitting pretty. But other times, you don't even know what to ask for. Um, here's one quick lesson. This isn't just confined to Go Fish, but this is life in general. You've probably heard this phrase before. You have to play the hand you're dealt. Now, think in your mind, what's the situation recently where someone you know could have had this phrase applied to them? The circumstances in life were such that the only conclusion you could reach was, well, this is your life. You just have to play the hand you are dealt. Now, here's an interesting thing. This is actually a biblical concept, too. Only they didn't have go fish back then. At least I don't think that that they did. But there is a different phrase that carries the exact same thing. And I'm going to illustrate it here in Psalm 16. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. Lord, you have placed a cup before me. Psalm 23. My cup overfloweth. Overflows, depending on which translation you use. My cup runneth over, David says. There's this biblical concept that God places before everybody a certain cup. And he says, this is the cup that I have given to you. You look at different people in the Bible. What kind of cups does he place in front of them? We just said Psalm 23. David had a very good cup for a while anyway. His cup was running over. You look at Job. What kind of cup did he have? Bitterness. Bitterness. You see all different kinds of cups. So we're going to take this into our first fill-in for today, if that's okay with you guys. Number one, the first question is, what's in your cup? What hand have you been dealt? What circumstances has God given you in your life? And carrying this illustration, okay, so if you're playing go fish with God, what are the cards that He has placed before you? And... We're going to come back to this at the end. Do you trust him to have your cards face up? That's a lot of questions. We'll go back to the first one. What's in your cup? What are you working with? Now, here's where I really struggle in a message like this because I can't possibly understand where everybody in the room is coming from because what I know is some of you are sitting pretty right now where things are going really well in your life and relationships are great and money is is not a worry And there's just not a lot happening where you're worried about things and you're thinking, wow, the cup that God placed before me is so great, so sweet, so awesome. And others of you hate people like that (laughs) because the cup that you have in front of you is anything but. There's bitterness. There's this kick to it. It doesn't leave a good taste in your mouth. The cards that God has dealt you are not fun to have. Well, this leads to the second question for fill-in number one. Are you allowed to change what he has given you? Some g- card games you can do that, right? You get some cards, you just, uh, you're like, I'm going to fold these two. Can you give me two new ones, please? Can you do that with God? Can you be like, God, you've given me these circumstances in life. Um, these are the three I'd like to get rid of, and go ahead and give me some new ones when you get a chance. Can you do that with God? Or, as the saying goes, do you just have to play the hand that you're dealt. We're going to see that Peter really struggled with this, and he was not able to answer these two questions because he was wrestling with a bigger issue, which we'll get to in just a moment. But first, I want to really focus on this second question here. Are we able to change the cup that God has placed before us? And to do that, we're going to rewind to something that Ben mentioned last week, but we're going to focus on a little bit of a different detail. We're going to look in Matthew 26. This is when Jesus is in the garden with his disciples. He's about to be betrayed. Jesus says, guys, stay with me. I want you to stay with me here because, you know, you need to pray, you need to keep watch. And what happened was Jesus, after that, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed. Now get this, Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me so we go back to the first question what was in jesus cup just that next day that night that very night he would be betrayed he'd be tortured beaten mocked and then friday hung on a cross to die now you think that your cup is bitter just consider what he had before him and beyond the physical, there was the spiritual torment too. He would take on himself the burden of the world's sin. And he could feel it in this moment. He said, this cup before me, Father, it's a bitter one. If it's possible, could, we, could I fold this and get some new ones? Could I get some new cards, Father? But then he goes on with something that's really, really important. It goes on, yet not as I will, Father, but as you will, as you will, as you want, as you want. Now, here's two important things that are going to serve as kind of the backbone for our, our, um, the rest of our message here. Jesus was in a place where he could, could ask questions about God's plan, but he was not questioning God's purpose. In other words, Jesus wasn't saying, God, I don't know if I want to redeem the world. You know, that's kind of hard work can I just give up? No, he wasn't asking that. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, Father, I want the same thing you do. My purpose is the same as yours. I want to redeem the world from their sins. The purpose was the same, but Jesus was asking, is there another way to get there? Is there a different plan we could do? Is there a different cup that might accomplish the same thing? And three times Jesus prayed this because he knew the cup in front of him was going to be bitter and hard. So we get to this next fill in here, this, the application for us. You can ask questions about God's plan without questioning God's purpose. And this is going to be the, the key word for today because we're going to finally get to this at the end. We're going to see, well, what is God's purpose? But before we can talk about that for ourselves, we need to see how Peter completely needed to be reconditioned with the way he viewed God's plan, God's purpose, because when the time came... He abandoned God's cup when he grabbed his sword. Now, I need to give you some background into into Paul's or Peter's sword. Why would a fisherman be carrying a weapon anyway? They didn't have sharks in the Sea of Galilee. So, we have to go back to why Peter had a sword in the first place. And this next section is going to give us a little bit of backdrop as far as why he had it with them. So this section goes back to the upper room. Just a few hours before, Jesus was with his disciples. And among other things, he was preparing them for when he would be gone. So Jesus asked, him, asked his disciples in that upper room, <laughs> picture it this way. Jesus is like, hey guys, you remember that one time? Remember that time when I sent you without a purse, no money? I sent you without a bag? no belongings. I sent you without an extra pair of sandals. You had nothing. You remember when you did that? Did you lack anything? And they're like, oh yeah, we remember that. That was a crazy time, Jesus. We didn't lack a thing. It was crazy. It's like you told us what would happen, and it happened. And then Jesus' demeanor changes. He's like, yeah, those were good times. But he goes on, but now if you have a purse, you better take it. If you have a bag, you better have it. If you don't have a sword, you better sell anything, even your cloak, so that you can buy a sword because I'm not going to be with you. Now here's the point that Jesus was making. He said, you know, there was a time when I was with you and I said, you can go do anything, you're going to be fine. And they said, yeah, we remember that. And Jesus is saying... I'm not going to be with you for long. Now you will need these things. In fact, you're even going to need a sword because I'm not going to be with you. So here's the point. The bag, the purse, wallet, the sword, these things were not meant to prevent Jesus' absence. These things were designed to sustain them through Jesus' absence. That's important. The sword was not designed to prevent Jesus' absence. The sword was designed, it was intended, to carry them through his absence. And then the disciples replied in some way that we'll probably never understand. And there there is some question about how this really took place and what was implied here. The disciples said, they didn't say, hey, we have some purses. They didn't say, hey, we have some bags. They said, hey, Jesus, we have two swords. Why do you have two swords? We just have them. When did you get them? We we just have them. <laughs> we have two swords here. And Jesus is like, oh yeah, you, you got two swords. What about the bags? What about the purse? You see, the disciples were so focused on the swords. That's where their trust was. And then this next phrase, this last phrase here at the bottom, it it implies there is some disagreement as far as how to translate it. So they said, "See, Lord, here are two swords." And Jesus says that is enough. Or some translations, instead of a a comma there, they have an exclamation mark. That's enough. Enough. In other words, what Jesus is implying is he didn't mean they literally had to have these things, the the purse, the bags, because finally he's going to be crucified that next day. There won't be time for them to buy anything. What he's implying is, I was with you for a while. Now I'm going to be absent. Enough. Enough. But apparently, Peter was one of the two that had a sword. goes on. Here's John 18. So in this section, uh, just to set it up quickly, so in this section, Judas was now approaching with these soldiers, this detachment of people with, with uh, clubs and torches. So you picture this big group coming towards Jesus, ready to arrest him. And, and they said, we're looking for Jesus. Jesus said, I told you that I am he. And Jesus went on, if you are looking for me... Then let these men go. See, this was what Jesus wanted. He wanted his disciples to go, to be spared. He didn't want them to die. And this happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled, that I have not lost lost one of those you gave me. This was what Jesus wanted. He wanted to be arrested, and he wanted his disciples to go away. And by saying this, he set things in motion for it to happen. But... The next three words tell it all. Then Simon Peter, come on. We're in the last week of the series where Jesus was reconditioning Peter, and he still doesn't get it. (laughs) He still (laughs) is conflicting with what Jesus wants to do. Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. Jesus wanted not one of his disciples to be lost, and now Peter is taking one sword against a detachment of soldiers. Peter. Now, I want to pause right there because things must have been confusing in Peter's mind. We saw how Jesus told them, if, if you don't have a sword, get one, get one. And, and Peter had heard Jesus warn him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. Peter had heard how Jesus said something about being put to death and arrested. And, And so Peter put all these things together in the moment and he's like, this is it. Sword, the denial, all these things. This is my moment to let things go a different way. But he was missing something. Jesus goes on in this account. He says, come on, Peter. He commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Put your sword away. Peter, there's two things we can do here. One involves the cup that God wants me to drink, and one involves your sword. You have to choose between one or the other. And that's where I have to pause and say, yeah, sometimes it comes down to God's cup or my sword too. There are some times in life when God's plan is very specific, very certain, and I'm like, no, I want to go a different way. And the reason quite often this happens is because when we look at the way things are going on and what's unfolding, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty as, as to what God is doing. You know, if Peter had understood, what is God doing? What's the big purpose here? Maybe he would have been more in line with God's plan. But here's what we learned from Peter that we need to work on also. see, fight God's plan when we do not understand his purpose. We keep coming back to this word, like I said, this purpose word, God's purpose. See, God's plan is like step A, B, C, D, E, F, whatever. There's several parts in this plan that get from one place to the next. But God's purpose is simply an end picture. A plan can be adjusted along the way, but the purpose stays the same no matter what. So often we don't line up with God's plan because we don't understand where he wants to get us in the long run. So I'm going to give you two, two guidelines that help to figure out, well, what is God's purpose for you, for you, for you? When God looks at you from heaven and he says, all right, child, I've got a plan marked out for you. What is it that guides him? What's his purpose? And there's two things. And like I told the people last night, you're free to agree with me on these. <laughs> I meant to say you're free to disagree. Anyway, this is a, it's a growth group question if you want to talk about this in your growth group this week. The two things are this. Number one, the first thing that guides God's purpose for you is that he wants to grow faith. Now that Jesus has already accomplished his work as Savior, the one thing that God really wants to do, what drives his purpose, is he wants to connect people to that Savior. One of God's purposes, his main driving purpose is simply to grow your faith and to connect other people to faith. So, so, you, so you take that analogy, here are the cards God has given you, and you're looking at them, and you can't make sense of them. You're like, God, where are you going with this? And you try to rearrange them and look at it, and It just doesn't make sense. Well, here's a question to ask. How does this help my faith grow? Or how does this help that person's faith grow? Or maybe a person I haven't met yet, how does this help God's kingdom expand and go out? Quite often, when you look at the cup that God has placed before you, it is for the simple reason of letting faith grow. And there's a second reason, like God might have given you the cards he did or the cup that he did. And the reason is because this gives you an opportunity to let your faith show. Um, there, there are certain circumstances in life where you can simply give a witness of the way you go through them, and people will look at you and they will say, how on earth can you maintain your peace and your relationship with God while all these things are going on? And you'll say, you know what? My cup overflows. And and right now it's overflowing with an opportunity to show my love and faith in God. So to summarize those two things, the last fill in here, cups from God make faith grow and they make faith glow. They give your faith a chance to grow. They give your faith a chance to be shown in this world. And so often when you look at the cup God has placed before you, no matter how bitter it is or how sweet it is, It goes back to one of these two things. Now, I wish I could say I always get it right. I wish that I could say that when I look at my hand, my cards that God has dealt me, I wish I could say, I know exactly where he's going with this, and I'm in line with it, because truthfully, I'm not. You look back at what happened to Peter, too, and... (laughs) Jesus had things all set up for Peter and the other disciples to go away and to be spared. And then Peter grabs his sword instead of the cup, and he makes things worse. Now, here's an interesting detail that we didn't see on the screen. When Peter cut off that man's ear, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, Jesus healed it. And that's awesome. There's actually something more impressive. John notes that the man who had his ear cut off His name was Malchus. Amen. Let's pray. No. Malchus. Why would John mention the name Malchus? Now, keep in mind that here are the events of Jesus' life, and John, decades, decades, decades later, actually recorded them. So this was decades after these events had happened, and yet John said, I need to write down this man's name. And you have to ask, well, why is that man's name so important? Here's the thing. The only reason John would have recorded his name is if his immediate audience, the people whom he gave this story to, would have known Malchus. You see, it seems that Malchus was a commonly known name because people knew that the day this happened to Malchus, his cup changed. Malchus, in the process of getting his ear chopped off and healed, came to know without a doubt who Jesus was and what Jesus had come to do. And so even in the midst of Peter denying God's plan and not knowing God's purpose, God at the same time had a plan and a purpose in that, to bring another person to know their Savior, to grow in their faith, and to glow in his story. And so we go finally back to Jesus. As he enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday knowing full well what lies ahead. People around crying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. We love you. You're awesome. We're for you. Nothing will ever happen to you. And things are going great, but Jesus knows that this this cup that's so sweet on Sunday will soon turn into a cup that is utterly bitter on Friday. Here's the thing. He drank that cup so that he could give you the cup of salvation. I'm going to close with some words from Psalm 116 here. And as you read through this psalm, the psalmist is explaining his life has been on on edge. Things have been going wrong. Things have been bad. People have been accusing him. And there are moments in his life where he is questioning God's plan and God's purpose. But at the end of it all, he says, how can I repay the Lord for all his goodness, no matter what has been dealt? No matter what cup was in front of him, he says this is evidence of the goodness of God. How can I thank God? All I can do is lift up the cup of salvation, the one that the Messiah has secured for me. It's what I want you to do this week. Play go fish with your dad. Take your circumstances in life, take your cards and put them down face up. Not because God can't see them, but because you know that his plan for you is based on his good purpose in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, of all the people that are listening to this message this weekend or later online, I know that there's so many different events and circumstances that some people can wrestle with really, really hard. Some people listening, life is is great at the moment. There's no worries, nothing to worry about. But for other people, there is serious doubt, serious wrestling with the things that you have dealt them in life at this moment or the things that you have permitted to happen. I pray that, that this message, as we look at your overriding purpose in all things, that it would provide guidance and comfort and traction in the moments when we feel the most stuck and the most distant from you. And no matter what cup, we're facing right now. Draw our eyes to the cup that Jesus won for us on the cross and in the empty tomb. Bless our worship this week as we adore the one who gave his life for us. In his name, amen. At this time, we'll have a moment to uh, show our thanks to God and also support for this ministry through our offering. If you're a guest, please don't feel obligated to put anything in the plate as it passes you by. It's our honor to have you here today. And if you could also take one of those Black Connection books from the chairs in front of you, pass them to the people in your aisle, that'd be great. Thanks.